welcome into another bonus uh, episode of Brigham Young Money. You've got Greg here, and we are continuing uh, my series where I sit down with some of my favorite people and talk music and politics and whatnot. And of course, you can go back and listen to our SoCon interview. This is uh, the next episode in that. I am sitting down with a local legend, uh, Josalie Paulette. Josalie, thank you so much for joining the show. Welcome to Brigham Young Money. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is, you know, Josalie and I, we're we're mutuals on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously a fan. I love the music. I love the internet personality. So, you know, I slid (laughs) into the DMs and I asked if she would join the show and just kind of chop it up with us. And she was so courteous to oblige. So uh, here we are. Yeah, thank you so much. I I think that uh, a very important way to tell if you're going to get along somebody is if you can be Twitter mutuals for a long time. Yeah, and that's that's just so telling these days. It's like okay, yeah. if you can put up with the the most annoying like worst parts of me, we're going to get along get along great. So I'm so happy. Yeah, if you don't mind the, like the dick jokes and like you know just like <laughs> me telling politicians to suck my dick from the back, then like we're good, right? Yeah, that's how I prefer my internet. So <laughs> yeah, it's great. Perfect. All right. So just right off top for those unaware or uninitiated, uh, how would you introduce yourself and your music in just a few short sentences? Yeah. So my name is Josalie. I am a queer indie musician um, based in Salt Lake City. I've, uh, I feel like the genres of music I've played have changed a little bit over the last you know decade or so that I've been playing mm-hmm. music but generally like indie rock uh singer songwritery stuff um but yeah I've been in the music scene here as a Utah native um for the last 15 years and just continue to release music under my name and uh I, I like to call it like tender DIY because most of it's music that I record at home and I kind of hate when when uh, bands describe themselves as sad being like the only qualifier so like I like calling things tender because I don't it's not just sad like sad is like one tiny well, it's that's a it, spectrum but. right totally it can be it's so one many part of things. like a very nuanced spectrum of emotions Yes, exactly. So yeah, like emotional music, but not necessarily emo. I don't know. I'm so bad at describing my music, but that's that's me trying. You know what I would describe it as? <laughs> I would describe it as worth listening to. Oh, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. That's a, that's a great descriptor. <laughs> so, you know, now that we've gotten the intro out of the way, let's talk, let's talk influences. So what yeah. initially like inspired you to make music and who would you list as like your big time musical inspirations? Yeah, this is, uh, this is such a hard question, but I feel like it just depends on. I know it's broad. I know. I love it though, because I I feel like I'm inspired by new, new musicians all the time, but I grew up in a super musical family. Um, both of my parents are, you know, people that have a really elaborate record collection and, uh, always had music on in the house growing up. And some of my very first influences were like Joni Mitchell and Mm -hmm. Edie Brickell, Paul Simon, Led Zeppelin, like those were things that were on in the house all the time. The Beatles were a huge thing that all of my family was obsessed with. Um, 
So it just kind of felt normal that you expressed your emotions through songwriting. So it was like, oh, I should be like these people and all of the emotions I have, I should write songs about them. Um, and then as, as I got older, I got more into like more angsty stuff. I loved Alanis Morissette. I loved Britney Spears. I wouldn't call, well, I would call her angsty. But, sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely now anyway. I think I think especially because, I, I mean, we're similar in age. I'm, I'm I, I believe i have you by a few years but yeah i feel like that's one of the reasons that they made britney spears so popular is that she was able to kind of capture that that teenage and and like early 20s angst that we all experience yeah absolutely and and i yeah she played a huge role in my life um just as far as like performance of, yeah me too oh, you, you can yeah you can be <laughs> a performer and you can make this your personality and i would i had like britney spears vhs tapes that i had like recorded off of whatever tv special was happening um and also really loved a lot of punk rock at that time i grew up listening to no effects but mm. i would I would say like currently a lot of stuff that influences my music now is like a lot of Jason Molina or songs Ohio, um, big Nico case fan. I don't know. I just, I, I find so many songwriters inspiring. I think it's really brave to write songs. And so just like hearing anybody's life perspective through a song lens always feels really inspiring to me. So I might be assuming, but it, it does seem like you kind of gravitate towards kind of that that honesty and that introspection when it comes to singer songwriters, correct? Yes, absolutely fair to assume. I, I am such a, a lyrics guy. Like if I hear, I tend to love, you know, I love music in all of its forms, but I tend to pick up on lyrics first then I'll like do another listen where I'm listening to actual musical elements but always I'm like the first thing that grabs me from music is how like honest or heartbreaking or relatable the lyrics are yeah I I feel like I kind of gravitate towards the same kind of kind of thing it's why like I have such a a man crush on uh Jason Isbell because I think that he is just like just a phenomenal songwriter you know not like when it comes to all sorts of spectrum of emotions whether it's love or heartbreak or just like you know living in a small town which i know is very in vogue right now and <laughs> yeah he uh Absolutely. But something like that yeah i tend to i tend to gravitate towards you know i i write yeah. um professionally and so there's always like for me it's always a sign like if i hear something i'm like fuck I should have thought of something like that. And I should have written something like that. Like to me, that's like a sign yes. of someone. I feel like I'm, I'm being a little arrogant when I say that, but it's always like such a light bulb moment of like, Oh, that's so good. And I wish I would have thought about that or like explored that side of myself or that angle of something that I'd experienced in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is, that's such a key and important source of inspiration for any type of writing is that feeling of like, oh my God, that's so good. I wish I would have wrote that. Like, I can't believe that exists in the world. And like, I never had that exact like way of portraying that or, or wording that like that. And I, I feel that way a lot. And Jason Isbell is such a great example of that because he's such an incredible storyteller. Like every one of his songs, no matter what his, his focus is of the song, it's like, you are, you are transported to whatever Mm -hmm. horrifically sad or beautiful moment he is describing to you. And yeah, incredible guy. And mm-hmm. his Twitter presence is incredible. Also, He's great. So, you know, I yeah, really, really love, we love Yeah, him. If you're not following, if you're not following Jason on Twitter, I, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's he's one of the, the, 
the bright spots on an otherwise complete hellscape. Right. Uh, it's so easy for like country or folk music people to be terrible. And there yeah. are so many good ones also. So yeah. he's he's a good follow. <laughs> Big fan of his. All right. So mm-hmm. next question. It's been a few months since you released your new album, In the Garden by the Weeds, and it's uh, made quite a few waves. I don't think that's a that's a jump to say, and you've even appeared on some uh, best of 2023 lists. Can you kind of give us a quick overview of the album, kind of mm-hmm. your thoughts and feelings of the project, as well as uh, what inspired you to make it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I am so excited to talk about this record. I'm so proud of it. Um, I made it with my best friend slash producer slash writing partner, uh, Jordan Watko. We've been making music together since 2019. And uh, our, on our, our last record, we had gone into the studio with all of our friends and really worked in this big way with, with live musicians and um, spent the greater part of a year making this record because we're both weekend warriors with music. So we have day jobs and kind of just fit it in wherever we can. And right when we released that record, the pandemic hit, like the week that we released it. Oh, damn. So so all of the work that we put into it, I think it's a very relatable feeling for a lot of folks mm-hmm. of like the the disappointment of not being able to like really release something from 2020 or like enjoy the the fruits of your labor from anything that happened around that time. Sure. Um, and we, Jordan and I kind of, you know, we were a little disheartened by that and decided whatever we do for our next project, it's got to be very chill. It's got to be like on our own timeline, um, probably not in the studio, probably because when we started kind of thinking about what music we wanted to make next, we didn't know how long COVID, you know, the first lockdown was going to be happening or anything. So we just kind of approached making music together in a really like not intense way and um, kind of figured out what we could do with just the two of us and really just played a lot with that structure of like I would write some lyrics and maybe a couple of, of melodies or like a really basic chord structure on something and then show it to Jordan and he would either be inspired by it or not. And we kind of followed that that progression for a little bit and weren't planning on making an album, but then realized that we had enough songs to make an album. And it was over the span of uh, about, you know, six or seven months, we kind of realized last summer, like, hey, I think this could be a record. Like we've got some thematic things that are happening in these songs that feel kind of tied together. Um, we we have like a storyline a little bit. We have some sounds we're really excited about exploring. This could be an album. And so we spent, again, like every weekend recording it, but really in our own houses. So Jordan was living in an apartment up in the avenues, and I live in a house in South Salt Lake, and we just kind of traded off whose living room we were recording in each weekend um, and just kind of playing around with what we wanted to include. And it was really intentional, but also really laid back. Um, and I, we, we kind of didn't really know what to do with it at first. We were like, let's put it out. Let's see what happens. And it's been just the way that people have related to it has been so like such, such an honor. And so, ah, just so cool. (laughs) I love the way that people have been talking about this record because I think Jordan is a genius when it comes to production and sounds and like the sonic environments he creates. And this album for me was a lot more, vulnerable about the reflection of like 
I don't know, being a person and taking responsibility for, for your own actions. And I'd never really done quite so vulnerable lyric writing before, mm-hmm. I feel like, as I did on this record. So it was just this really fun way for us to kind of collaborate and really showcase each other's talents in a way that really was mostly just about our friendship. We would get together every weekend to record, but talk for four hours about life and dating and and trauma <laughs> and families. <laughs> and then we'd make music for a few hours. And I think that's, that's what I'm the most proud of, of this record is it's like, not just a showcase of the music that we made, but a little bit of a showcase of our friendship too. So it's, it's special that way for me. That's, I, I think of this record as like, oh yeah, that's, that's mine and Jordan's baby. <laughs> That's really, that's really special. I, this isn't, yeah. this isn't a, a, a question. It's just, you know, more of a comment and, and, you know, my thoughts on the album. One of my favorite things that you talked about, it does, it does have a naturalness to it and it does seem to kind of, I won't say that it's seamless, but it's, it tends to flow super well. And I, I enjoy the, you know, the honesty of the songwriting as well. And it does feel like, you know, you said it was kind of birthed out of the pandemic and you can kind of feel that, you know, that angst that we've talked about before and some of that frustration. I think a lot of us were going through that. I know that I went through the ringer emotionally trying to hold down a job that I hated and I was raising a toddler at the time. And I can't even imagine, (laughs) uh, I think that's my favorite thing about the album is not only just how natural it feels, but how relatable it is. And I just wanted to, you know, tip my hat to you because I know that has to be uh, a lot of hard work that came to fruition. Thank you. I, I I really my one of my main goals for writing music and creating music is is to to create something that's relatable. Um, I think being a human can be such a lonely experience, and that specific time in everybody's lives was so consistently similar. Like everybody was going through very similar feelings, but in such vastly different ways and being able to like relate to other people in this way, especially through music that's like so personal and so creative um, just has always felt really important to me. And I I, want to hear that it's like helpful or relatable or like people feel seen by it. Like that's the greatest compliment I can ever get. So thank you. I'm, I'm so glad. <laughs> it's become one of my favorite walking my dog records. I'll just put my oh. headphones in and I'll go like cruise the neighborhood and kind of just like get away. And that makes it's been me like a nice so escape. Happy. Yeah, yeah. I love that, it. Uh, I love it. Love it. I love that you say that because um, when I was writing that record, a lot of the lyrics came from walking my dogs. I, at the time of the record, I had two dogs. I just have one now. Um, one of my dogs passed away at the end of last year. Oh, I'm so year, sorry but, to hear that. That's really uh, hard. Thank you. She, she was a little old lady and it was a long time coming and she lived a very sure. happy life, but I walked both of them a lot and it was my like saving grace during the mm-hmm. first year of the pandemic of like, at least another little being is, is relying on me to get outside today. Sure. And so many of those lyrics came from, you know, those quiet walks with them or like just trying to find inspiration in the mundane of my neighborhood. So I love that it's dog walking music because that's <laughs> truly like where it was birthed. <laughs> I love to hear that. All right. Let's, uh, yeah. I, I, I would like to, you know, as a parent, everyone likes to say that, oh, you know, we don't, we don't pick favorites. It's bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. Everybody has a favorite. You know, you it's talked true. about how this record, you know, is your and Jordan's baby. Um, 
Do you have any song, any favorite songs? I would like to play favorites with you. And, and you know, is there anything that like <laughs> any special moments you'd like to share? Or any song where you're like, I kind of did my thing on that record. Yeah. Um, gosh, with it, it being it's one of the shorter records that I've ever written. Um, it's just nine tracks. And so much of that came from like really whittling things down to like, I wrote like 30 songs over mm -hmm. that first year of the pandemic and Jordan and I worked so hard to make sure things felt connected and, and part of a theme when we were figuring out what was going to go on the record. So I do feel so proud of the whole thing, but I will say if I'm going to play favorites, there is something really special to me about this record's opening and closing tracks together. Um, the, the first track is, uh, it's YKIM, but it's, you know what I mean, or YKWIM. I, I can never remember the, yeah. It's my favorite. But... It's my favorite song on the record. Oh, just I'm so glad. for the record. <laughs> Perfect. Um, it's probably my favorite song on the record too. And I think it's, uh, it's one that Jordan and I really fought with for a while. It was one where like, the lyrics came so easy to me and how I wanted the the melody of it to go just kind of like happened really quickly in one afternoon. And I sent it to Jordan and he, he like, usually when I send a song to Jordan, I can like tell right away if it's something he's going to be inspired by of like wanting to work into our production style or not. And this one was one of those where he was like, I love it. I, I don't know what to do with it. He's like, this might just be one of those songs. That's just a, a Josely by herself one. And uh, the the more time went on and we started working on other tracks, Jordan just kept coming back to that one and being like, this is so important. Like, I feel like this has to be part of the record because of uh -huh. the, the, the theme of it. And I don't know what to do with it. And it really wasn't until we'd pretty much finished all the rest of the record that like we got it to this point where we were really happy with how it was feeling. And we kind of took it through the ringer. Like there were days for that song where we were recording just feedback with both of our guitars in my kitchen and like scaring the shit out of my dogs and like <laughs> making the world's worst noises. And then like we'd use like maybe the tiniest little blip of that in the song. And then I remember this one specific day when we, I was over a lot of our, our production time is like me laying on Jordan's couch while he is on his computer and me just like shouting out things while he's doing like most of the work. <laughs> and uh, that song felt so good and so close to where we needed it. And both of us agreed that it was just missing something. And we talked about like what it could possibly be missing for what felt like hours. And then Jordan just sits down and adds like three piano chords at the end, it's like towards the outro. And suddenly the song felt like full and complete and finished and like was the smallest little thing that came, he just like, it felt like he pulled it out of thin air. And it just became my favorite song. And I, I remember listening to it after we'd, we'd kind of put it all together and we had a rough mix. And just being like, I would listen to this, like not even like, I'm not just proud of this being a song we created. But like, if I heard this on the radio, I'd be like, who the fuck is this? I love this. And that felt so good. And Similarly, the last song on the record, July, is such a personal song for me. Um, last last July, I was probably like the most depressed of my life and like got COVID and was just like going through just a, a really difficult time in my brain mm -hmm. and wrote that song about just feeling really like hopelessly hopeful 
like like trying to convince yourself that there is hope when you really don't mm-hmm. believe it and like talking about like here's all the things that I'm doing to try and help with my mental health like I'm going to the gym going on a walk I'm calling my family I'm doing all the things but like none of it's fucking working and what do you do when none of it's fucking working <laughs> and yeah. that song it when I wrote it it was like so quiet and mellow and like sad and I sent it to Jordan and a couple days later he invites me over and he's like don't be mad but I made that song into a total dance banger (laughs) he's like I don't (laughs) know I don't know if it's gonna work this could be totally wrong I love the juxtaposition there (laughs) yeah absolutely so like went from being this like I thought the saddest thing I ever wrote to being like something to where it sits in the album and the feeling of the final production feels like so hopeful that I feel like it just captured a lot of the nuance of like just the complexities of how hard and beautiful it is to be alive all the time. <laughs> so yeah. those are my two favorites, I think. I, I love it. We're officially t- titling this episode crying in the club. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I think that's ideal. Yeah. I, I kind of want to switch gears really quickly and just talk, talk our hometown, talk, talk yeah. Salt Lake. You are a native Salt Lake Laker or native Utah, correct? Yes. Yeah. I grew up in Ogden, but okay. as soon as I, I could love, drive, I love was Ogden. One of my favorite yeah, places. It's it's it was a great place to grow up. And as soon as I could drive, I was in Salt Lake every weekend, like living on the floor at Kilby Court, basically. Hell yes. And have have lived officially lived in Salt Lake for almost a decade. So, OK, I, you, I, so, yeah, I, you're a native home. at this point. Yeah, <laughs> it's home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my wife, my wife's from L.A. and she's lived in in Salt Lake now for like 15 years. And she always likes to preface and be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm from L.A. I was like, no, you've been you've been here the better part of two decades now. No, you're from you're from Salt Lake. 15 years. You can claim it. We get get it. Yeah. All right. But I would. uh, So how has, you know, living, growing up in Salt Lake and Ogden and Utah as a whole kind of influenced your music and your style and and kind of just your whole, your whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think about this a lot and I think growing up in Ogden, especially it felt like we didn't have a really strong, like our own like DIY scene in Ogden until I was a teenager. And even then it was like, I didn't always feel like I fit into it very well. It was usually like, you know, hardcore bands or emo bands or which I loved going to see, but it just was never Mm -hmm. the music that I made. And it always felt um, like, like Salt Lake was kind of where like all of the folk music came from and like the indie singer songwriter Mm -hmm. stuff. So I felt myself always drawn to, to Salt Lake City's scene that way. And being a young feminine musician uh, in Utah, where it's like such a boys club was mm-hmm. always like so frustrating as a young person too, because I would get lumped in of like, oh, you're going to open. Oh, you're going to do backup vocals. Oh, you're going to do this. And it was just like, no, I want, I want more than that. I, I want mm-hmm. more than that. And I think it kind of like forged me in the fires of like trying to defy people from a very young age of just like, no, like I'm going to work my ass off. I've got what it takes to do this. I'm going to fucking do it. And I've, I feel like the culture in Utah being like, so, 
so male dominated and so our 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 favorite religion dominated (laughs) Um, that's just like not something you see as often and and when you do see it it feels so like counter to everything that's happening um so it, it like kind of became a challenge to me as a young person so that that i think is like more focused on on the the culture side of it. But I also think that just like growing up in, I I spent a lot of time in uh, Logan when I was a kid too. And like on the river Mm -hmm. and my dad's place up in Ogden is like right on the mountain bench. So he's like up on the, in the Hills every day hiking. And just being in Salt Lake. Yeah, exactly. Just being able to be outside. I think outside and nature goes just so hand in hand with creativity Mm -hmm. where I don't think you can have one without the other. And I think it always like helps to be very inspiring and give me this like quiet place to really get in touch with that creativity. And we're just really lucky in Utah that that kind of stuff is everywhere. And so it's legitimately why I can't leave. Yeah, exactly. You can't live anywhere else and go on like hundreds of beautiful hikes within 10 minutes of your house yeah. at any given point. <laughs> it's it's yeah, just it's, too nice. Yeah, I, I legitimately <laughs> fell in love, you know, a decade or so ago of doing that. And it is it's my favorite thing in the entire world. And then yeah. I can like access it from my front door is yeah. pretty unparalleled. It's incredible. It's yeah. it's such a beautiful place to live. And I feel like I'm always learning new things about it too. I'm just always like this new hike or this new place or this new little like town in Southern Utah that yeah. I've never heard yeah, of. Yeah. Like it, it just is always surprising me. I feel like I haven't traveled nearly enough as an adult because I'm just like constantly distracted by shit that's here. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> why would I spend a bunch of money on a plane ticket when I could just go over there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean like, that, yeah, but. like, like Canab's a lot cheaper than Scotland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, we've talked, you, you've, we've touched on this, but I kind of want to expand a little bit. And in my opinion, I think that the Utah and the Salt Lake music scene stays fairly underrated, whether it be punk or folk or hardcore or, mm-hmm. you know, what have you that kind of, you know, runs the gamut as far as genres go. Uh, and this is, of course, despite having a handful of bands that have really broken into the mainstream. I would love your kind of your overall thoughts of someone who's spent now over a decade in this scene about the music in Salt Lake in Utah overall. Yeah, I am obsessed with our local scene. I think it's so good. I think mm-hmm. I get so frustrated when I listen. I listen to so many bands from all over the country and people are like, what's in Salt Lake? Bands don't tour like through Salt Lake nearly as much as I think they should. Um, Agreed. But yeah. It's, yeah. And like people are always skipping it and it's, it's so good here. And I think such a huge part of that is just the like cross genre support that I see like we have this thriving hardcore scene but I'm friends with so many folks in that and it's like oh we're gonna like do you want to be on this bill with like an emo band and a hardcore band and then like some indie rock shit going on like it's all just like we're all a part of these different scenes but I think people within the scene are really good at, at being able to say like no like Salt Lake music in general especially when it's like queer folks as a mm-hmm. big part of that too like people just know to look out for each other for the most part. Like obviously within any scene, you'll, you'll find dickheads all over. Sure. But <laughs> I think it's like incredibly supportive. Some of my favorite bands are local bands and, and the support and the love for, for each other 
just feels palpable all the time. I think it's, I think our scene is incredible. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking on, um, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but again, I want to expand on it. You've seen Salt Lake or SLC Punk, correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I personally subscribe to the SLC Punk theory that because Salt Lake in Utah has such a conservative, religious, you know, male dominant majority, the counterculture heel here feels like they have to go that much harder you know it's kind of the uh, the opposite or greater reaction that you get in physics and i would yeah. like your uh, kind of like your thoughts on that because it's certainly something that i have ex- you know i've experienced going to punk and hardcore shows and i would love your thoughts and your experiences when it comes to that yeah absolutely i think it's very very similar as to like why SLC is one of the queerest places in the country mm-hmm. too. It's just like when you have this dominating culture that is just Republican white dudes, like making all of the calls for everything that impacts your life. It's so easy to feel really helpless in a lot of that. And I think one of the like fastest, most like effective ways at creating community and like bonding with each other over defying those sorts of powers is music is to like find people that like the same shit you do. And also like, there's nothing that feels more defiant than like being in a mosh pit at a hardcore show or a punk show. Absolutely. And like, if you grew up religious, I am gratefully like did not grow up religious, but so many people in my, my immediate orbit did. And it just like the, the joy of like taking people to a show where people are like, like screaming and yelling and getting that anger and frustration out, especially where this counterculture of, or the culture of, you know, the Mormon religion in general feels so like, don't be in touch with your feelings. Don't talk about anything Mm -hmm. like the vulnerability it takes. Yeah, exactly. The vulnerability that it takes to like write music, perform music, be in a room with strangers where you're all being moved by that music like that in it, of itself is just defiant of the normal mm-hmm. culture that happens around here. So I think the need for it is so huge because it's Utah. And I think it absolutely feeds into to all of us thinking like or knowing how important it is. Like we have to do this. This is how we like how we are activists and how we are defiant against this like pretty fucked up place to live like at least we've got this piece happening like in a big way where we can all feel connected yeah it does definitely seem like quite the uh the silver lining there i have a lot of bones to pick when it comes to you know to utah and its culture and of course it's it's legislature and it's you know it's Mm -hmm. it's the uh the stranglehold it it seems to have in the majority of our lives but if there is a silver lining it's uh, that i've made so many friends in what would be deemed the counterculture and that i do have these outlets when it comes to nature and i think it's for so many people like you and me it's it's essential yeah absolutely and it's it's why why we stay here i get so many people that either have left or or are thinking about leaving, which I mean, also crosses probably any of our minds all the time with the lake drying up and all that fun stuff. Yeah, and that's that's it, always it's, it's, uh, front and center on my mind as I raise a five yeah. year old. Yeah. Oh, I'm. Sure. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Like, I'm just raising myself, and yeah. I think about it every day. I can't imagine like trying to think of a future while having little children. 
But yeah, it's something that keeps us all here. It's like, yeah, but this is where my people are. And it feels easier to find your people when you like have to be outwardly defiant against like the norm around you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think. Now, I want to shift the conversation a a little bit and talk about online, which of course, like that's how, that's how we met. you know, I was, like I said, I slid into the DMs and uh, for those who follow you online, that's how you've really kind of helped curate this following and how you've been able to kind of propel yourself. You're, you're great at interacting with your fans. Um, And you're also, you're not, you're not shy online. And you've never really shied away from speaking out about your politics, you know, and and your beliefs and, you know, what it's like to be a queer person in Utah. Uh, So what is that? What is your motivation? I would love to kind of get into your brain about, like, why that's so essential to you and why you choose to use your platform in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about that. I... I feel like in places online, especially in our current political and like every kind of climate that exists right now. Yeah, it sucks shit. Um, yeah, it sucks shit. And <laughs> it feels like if you're not very like adamantly for something, like people yeah. can assume that you you are very anti something or mm. or kind of assume what your views are on something. And I think that can be really dangerous right now because there's fucking yeah. fascists all over regularly promoted and and given voices everywhere. And it's always been really important for me to kind of, I, I don't know, to just be very vocal about what I care about and what I believe in. Try not to like excessively fight with people on the internet because yeah that, that's my job <laughs> exactly <laughs> there are people that are good at that i try to like i try to stick with you know my sweetie pie energy but in a way that's like also unforgiving and it's like sure. if you don't fuck with trans people my music's not for you so like i love that. I, I need that to be known so deeply by people and really the only way to do it is to be like so clear about it. Otherwise people will infer how you feel, especially in Mm -hmm. this day and age of like vagueness or like fucking dog whistles in every tweet by any political person ever. Like you have to be so clear about what you stand for. And I think at, at, especially right now where it is so scary to be queer or trans or a minority in, in this country, like you have to know who is safe and even then it's hard to know. So like, I think anybody that, that feels like they are a safe person should, should at least make it loud and known, especially if you've got any sort of platform about it and make it easier for people to just be on the internet or just be in their real life. And I think the only way to do that is just to loudly make yourself known Uh and it can be scary, but if you've got, you know, a pretty big following or like a somewhat substantial amount of like people that interact with your shit on the internet every day, you have to be so responsible about that because uh, there's a lot of garbage out there right now. Yeah. And again, not a, not a question more of just more of just commentary and something that I do appreciate about you is that you don't shy away and you don't mince words, which I think also really goes against Utah culture. It's one of the things that drives me most crazy is how people, (laughs) so many things get lost in translation and there's so much sugarcoating and there's so much like almost like false niceness 
you know, like not wanting to ruffle feathers. And so you don't necessarily communicate what you're actually feeling. And, you know, I, I see that you don't do that. And that's definitely the way, like my communication style. And I think it's, you know, A, it's appreciated. And I think it's very important. So again, you know, I doff my cap. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. I think at this point, it's like if you aren't ruffling some feathers, that means you're like probably not ruffling the feathers of people that you don't want in your orbit. Right. Especially as any sort of public person, as a podcaster or as a musician or as Mm -hmm. anybody trying to like exist with uh, with your art out in the world you you have to like make it for somebody or not for somebody else otherwise it's boring and it's for everyone and there i i love to say like this music is for everybody and Mm -hmm. i want everybody to relate to it but also if you are like a turf or a fascist, I don't want you to relate yeah. to it at all. It's not for you. So you have to, you kind of, you have to make it not for some people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We preface, I mean, we preface and we've had so many conversations on this show. That's just like as a baseline, like if you're like a fashy piece of shit or you like do not recognize trans people as human beings, well then like we can't go any further. Because there's yeah, nothing that's to talk the bare about. Minimum. Yeah, exactly. if you cannot like recognize somebody's basic humanity, then there's no reason to talk to you. Yes, completely now, agree. And you yeah, have to and, be like so clear about that on the yeah. internet. Other otherwise, people will project whatever type of person they think you are onto you. So you have to be like, no, this is the kind of person I am. Here you go. I'm spelling it out in the, yeah. in the most you can in like 140 characters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, unlimited if you want to be a shithead and subscribe yeah. to Twitter Blue, which fuck you, you Elon, you're never getting my Elon, money. <laughs> right? If you want to give him $8 a month, like I can't even fathom it. I can't. <laughs> You know, speaking, so speaking just on this, on all these notes, you've also just been, been super outspoken. It was one of the reasons why I initially followed you and I've gravitated towards your music and and just you as a person is you've been super outspoken in regards to the Utah legislature and especially Governor uh, Spencer Cox's views on gender and sexuality. I know how enraged you were when he signed the trans ban. Uh, And I would just, I would love kind of your thoughts on that as well as, you know, your motivation, I guess, just like a kind of a, a whole holistic view of you know you as a as a queer person in Utah like how that's affected you and just your thoughts overall I guess yeah absolutely um I, I hate our governor so bad like yes, so much same. I just I I never bullied anybody in high school but it's only because <laughs> I wasn't in high school at the same time as Governor Cox like I hate this man and I what really bothers me so much about him is his just like performative, like yeah. kindness towards trans folks, like him crying when he hears a trans kid story and then like right. turns around and signs legislation saying they can't play fucking the high school sports. Yeah, like, he's Greg so, Abbott with better PR. Yes, exactly. Just like a coat of like shitty paint on Greg Abbott. And mm-hmm. we all, oh, God, I hate him. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like right now, like people of color, specifically trans people of color are like the the canary in the coal mine, like for lack of a better term for everybody. It's like if you cannot understand like the human 
right to be happy and live how you want to be. It's and literally like, in the fucking constitution. Seriously. It's in the preamble. <laughs> right. If you can't like accept that everybody should have that right, like there exactly like you said, like there's no further we can go. Mm-hmm. Like there is no other conversation we can have if you don't like truly believe that a person knows what's best for them. And it's none of your business, like what they should be able to do or what sports their children should be able to play. And just being part of part of the the queer community in Salt Lake, where we do have that like deep connection to each other because of the counterculture we've had to Mm -hmm. create and just being friends with so many trans people and having people in my family that have transitioned over the last several years and being somebody that grew up like with something as simple as playing high school sports, yeah. <laughs> like really helping me become a person that like understood how to connect with other people mm-hmm. and like the, the ridiculousness of our state legislature trying to say that like a kid cannot play sports. Just, yeah, it seems like mm-hmm. the most basic evil that can exist right right now it's just like if we can't even get past this like this isn't a world i want to live in (laughs) like yeah 100 is so stupid so like it feels like that's the thing that enraged me the most because it was just like like okay now we have this chance to just like create a better world and we Mm -hmm. are stuck on this this thing that doesn't hurt anybody at all I have a theory on this and I I would love your thoughts. And that is, you know, like for the longest time, like the big dog whistle and the big like conservative argument, it was all against gay people. And it was like, oh, if we let gay people get get married, what's next? Are they going to marry dogs? And, you know, and they lost that battle. Obviously, like Mm -hmm. gay marriage is legal in this in this country. And. From what I see, like, you know, you take that L, you lick your wounds, and then you find whatever's next on the totem pole. And that just happens to be trans people. And it's just been this complete pivot with the exact same talking points. Yep, exactly. And it's it's pointless. It's cruel. It's controlling. Yeah. And it's just based in fear. And so much of that, I feel like in Utah, is these people that are miserable with the lives that their church and their families have told them that they were chosen for Mm -hmm. and because they didn't get to choose how they exist they just have this deep fear and resentment for anybody that does and like i think trans folks are the most like pure and beautiful form of that of like Mm -hmm. hey i'm gonna choose to exist how i truly am and like that just breaks the fucking governor's brain of like i didn't get to do that when like you you could have but you're Mm -hmm. stuck in this fucking terrible society and especially religion that tells you that you shouldn't do that that you should be happy with what you've been given and be happy in this life that you exist and and it's just it's miserable and it's so so clear yeah it's just so clear that it's just all based in fear and it's Mm -hmm. so frustrating how yeah. like evil that fear becomes. <laughs> you know, I, and I can't, I can't even imagine cause you know, I am a, you know, I'm a, I'm a cis white 
guy from the suburbs of Utah, but it's just, it's, it, at the same time, it's like, I do have friends there and it's, it's just so disheartening to see, like, we're also talking about such a tiny fraction of the, the population. And it just, it just, mm-hmm. you know, I think at the end of the day, if you really just understand that the cruelty is the point, it makes a bit more sense, but it certainly doesn't make things any better. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, it's disheartening, but it's also, it's hopeful to be in a place where we do have like this community and, and, and people Mm -hmm. that are at least trying and paying attention and yelling at the the governor as often as possible. I think that's, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Bully, bully Spencer Cox, anytime that you can make these people's lives. I mean, yeah, he, he he's got me you? blocked on his like on his personal Twitter account. He has me blocked, but he didn't on his like official governor, government government one, so I can still get in there. Okay, <laughs> well, solidarity in bullying. Yes. Uh, let's do just a quick lightning round. I do need to wrap, and I apologize for yeah. that, but I got you no know worries. I gotta go. I gotta go be dad. So uh, just Completely lightning round real quickly. Uh, how have your views in politics influenced your music? Oh, that's a great question. I feel like, um, I don't know. I've never even really thought about this. I feel like this is, sorry, lightning round, but I think vulnerability is like mm-hmm. inherently like against the status quo. Sure. Like it, it feels like in order to exist in a way that's really authentic to yourself feels like very anti what a yeah. lot of Republican and right-wing folks are kind of pushing for these days and i think it takes a lot of vulnerability to be a musician or be a creative person in any capacity and i think it kind of goes hand in hand with like this is going to inform your politics and how you see the rest of the world because really we believe in vulnerability and and caring for each other and community and yeah (laughs) Uh, that's yeah that's a that's a great answer and then last question real quick you know outside of music we've talked a lot about that uh what can we expect you to be doing Oh, that's a great question. Um, when I'm not playing music or or writing music, I am usually like out in my yard playing with my dog, going for walks, going to other people's shows. Um, so really just like hanging out. Um, I, I work a full time job and make music as much as possible. Uh, so I'm I'm usually just trying to be out with friends and with loved ones and just connecting with people in the community. So I'm around. Uh, yeah. If people see me, I want them to say hi. <laughs> well, it's, it's inevitable. It's small Lake city. I'm, I, I will run into you at some point. If I have not yep. already, I will certainly say hello. Excellent. Well, I mean, that's, that's really all I have for you. Is there, is there anything else just really quickly that you would like to say to the audience uh, before we wrap? Uh, yeah, I think um, you can catch me on most of the social media places mm-hmm. uh, at Brosely. And um, I've got that new record out that came out in July. Stream it. I've got vinyl coming in a couple months. Um, I've got a show with one of my favorite bands, City Ghost, on September 28th at Urban Lounge. It's free. It's a great local lineup. Um, and yeah, I think my other thing is just like, go for a walk, take a walk today. That's what I always (laughs) want to tell people. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. This has been 
wonderful on my end. You know, again, we're we're big fans. Like you said you can follow Josalie at Brosalie on Twitter. Is that Instagram as well? Yep, it's everywhere. It's okay all the on blue all, sky all and, the platforms. Yep. And then yeah, go go see her. It's at Urban Lounge, right? The twenty yep. eighth. I'm yep. gonna do my damnedest to come to that show. <laughs> Excellent. Glad to All hear right. it. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. It was yeah, great chatting thank with you. you. Um, and, you know, and on that note, let's uh, let's go for a walk and take care of each other. And yep. we will see you back next week. Thank you all for listening. And thank you for subscribing to the Patreon. Bye bye.